Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. So we left off on Wednesday with the Pharisees making a completely stupid comment that Jesus drove out demons by the prince of demons, Satan himself. Duh. Well, now someone changes the subject. We read that some of the Pharisees and teachers said to him, uh, Teacher, let, let's, uh, I, I'm sorry about that stupid comment of Beelzebub, but we want to see a miracle. How about a big miracle that we could see? And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. None will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up to the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Now we need to pause for a moment on this. You want a sign? None but the sign of Jonah will be given. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Jonah is a prophet who lives in the southern kingdom of Judah. It's now shortly before 722 BC. The Assyrian Empire is on the rise. The capital of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, which today is just across the Euphrates River from Baghdad, way to the east. God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach there. And Jonah thought to himself, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I hate the Ninevites. I hope they all die and go to hell. They're miserable people because the Ninevites, the Assyrians, are going to attack the northern kingdom of Israel, obliterate it from, from the face of the earth in 722, and then Babylon's going to conquer Assyria, and Babylon will come after us, and it all starts with those miserable people in Nineveh. No, I'm not going. So Jonah went down to Joppa, port on the Mediterranean, and he got on board a ship, and he headed for Tarshish. Where's that? Well, we don't know precisely. Probably somewhere in Spain. So he goes the exact opposite direction. And then a storm came up, a storm on the Mediterranean, and the ship was tossed. Terrible thing, terrible storm. And the men on board said, oh, somebody must have really offended the gods. They're, they're doing something awful here. Poseidon is coming after us. Jonah was asleep. But when he finally learned what was happening, he said, well, it's all my fault. God told me to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites, and they'd be saved, and I don't want them saved. I want them dead, and I'm on the way somewhere else. What are we going to do? Well, Throw me overboard. That'll calm the storm. The men didn't want to do it. But in the end, they followed Jonah's request. Throw him overboard. He begins sinking under the water, seaweed wrapping around him. And then all of a sudden, a gigantic fish, not a whale, a fish, 
opened his mouth, swallowed Jonah. Down he went. And what happened when Jonah got into the belly of the fish? He met Pinocchio. <laughs> no, he didn't. Jonah's in the belly of the fish. And we have in the story of Jonah, chapter 2, he writes a prayer. And then, it seems the fish headed back toward Joppa and vomited Jonah onto dry land, which only goes to show you can't keep a good man down. So, Jonah heads off to Nineveh. So, many people have said, well, how could Jonah live in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? Well, Jesus answers that question. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. After Jesus' crucifixion, he was buried and in the tomb dead for three days and three nights. From Friday through Sunday, three named days. So Jesus was dead in the tomb, and so was Jonah. So what's the sign of Jonah? Resurrection. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. When I walk out of that tomb on Sunday morning, you will know. Now when an evil spirit comes out of a man, and it goes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it, and then it says, oh, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, all, all cleaned up. It goes and takes with it seven other serpents, even more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. You know, they left the house. The housekeeper came in, cleaned the whole thing. Now he brings back his friends. And that's exactly like this wicked generation, says Jesus. Now, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers. Now, there's a conundrum. Who are the brothers? Well, all Christians agree that Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus. But where Christians disagree is what happened afterward. Most Protestants would say that Joseph and Mary went on to have a married life and had other children, and they were Jesus' brothers and sisters. Most Protestants would take that position. Most Roman Catholics would follow St. Jerome and say, that the brothers of Jesus were his extended family, his cousins, if you will. And in the Middle East, cousins are very important, and you got a lot of them. Everyone generally related to you in one way or another, you call your cousin. And that was St. Jerome's position, and that's the position that the Roman Catholic Church takes today that the brothers and sisters of the Lord were the relatives of the Lord in the greater extended family. And if you were an Orthodox Christian, you would argue that Joseph had been married before, that his wife had died, and that the brothers and sisters of the Lord are Joseph's children by his deceased wife, and hence 
Jesus' half-brothers and sisters. So take your pick. I'm okay with any of those. I'm perfectly comfortable with the Roman Catholic position because, after all, that's what I am. But uh, it's a legitimate question and one on which there are denominational differences. We should make that as a footnote. But someone told them, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Why are they there? They came from Nazareth. Now they're at Capernaum. We walked the Jesus Trail from Nazareth to Capernaum. It's 43 miles, about a two-day, maybe three-day walk if we're walking briskly. And they came all that way to see him. Why? You know, with everything that's been going on here, the trouble that's been brewing, the big crowds, the opposition, I think they're worried about him. They're worried for his safety. Think of it this way. Imagine if you had a son. You're Roman Catholic. You have a son, and uh, he wants to become a priest, and he goes to seminary, and he, uh, he graduates with honors, and he's ordained. And What's his first assignment? Well, he, he really wanted to be a missionary. He wanted to go to places and support people who had no support. And he decides he's going to go into Afghanistan, into the Taliban country where there are Christians, but they're under the radar for sure. But he's a brave young man, and he, he's holding mass publicly, and he's preaching fiery homilies. And you see YouTube videos of what he's doing. And you see YouTube videos of Taliban men vowing to kill him. Won't you be worried about your son? Well, Mary and the brothers and sisters were worried. And they, they go to take hold of him and bring him back. He replied, who's my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There are relationships that are closer within the family of God. That seems a little harsh. We'll develop it as we continue. We move now into chapter 13 of Matthew, the parable of the sower. Many rabbis in Jesus' day use parable as a method of teaching. A parable is from the Greek word. It's a compound of para, alongside, and bola, the verb to throw. A parable is something thrown alongside. Thrown alongside a common truth that you've heard repeated so many times you don't even pay attention anymore. So a parable is an engaging, clever, delightful, and memorable story thrown alongside that old truth to illuminate it in a striking and memorable way. Other people taught in parables, but Jesus was a master at it. So the same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake, by the Sea of Galilee. 
and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So when you're speaking to a large crowd of people, you need distance between you and the audience. If I'm speaking to a classroom full of 800 people, I can't be standing 10 feet in front of the front row. I have to be elevated on a platform a good 20 or 30 feet away with a microphone in hand. Otherwise, people in the back can't hear you, can't see you. So big crowd, Jesus got in a boat, pushed offshore maybe 20 or 30 feet, and sat down in the boat while the crowds were on the shore. The shore is right at the foot of the Mount of Beatitudes with that natural amphitheater shape and the really good acoustics. And there, he told them many things in parables. We have a lot of parables, particularly in the Gospel according to Mark, but I don't think Jesus ever made up a parable. He was a master teacher, and he just looked at things around him and took what he saw and used it to build a story. So here he is in the boat, looking at the, shore, at the Mount of Beatitudes, the concave hillside. It's springtime, and farmers are sowing the seed. They've turned the earth, they're getting ready to plant the crops, and uh, barley comes first, and, and they're planting, throwing the seed. And you know, when you go to the Sea of Galilee, all of Galilee, there are more rocks and stones than you can imagine. They're everywhere. If you clear a field to plant, it's like the field grows rocks. They're all over. And what do you do with them? You have to get them out of the soil in order to plant. So you clear the field of the rocks, use the rocks to build a wall around your field, and then sow the seed. And sure enough, the next season, you got to clear rocks again. I don't know where they come from. They, they just pop up from the ground. But here's Jesus looking at that hillside, and he sees the farmer sowing his seed. So looking at that farmer, he said to the crowd, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and he gestured toward the hillside. The crowd all turned around and looked, and there was the farmer sowing his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it didn't have much soil, fell on the rocks. Just a little bit dirt-covered rock, sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered and died. They had no root. Other seed fell among thorns. On that hillside of the Mount of Beatitudes, in the springtime, there are beautiful bushes with purple thistles. And when they dry out, they become prickly thorns. They're all over the place up there. Well, some fell among those, which grew up and choked off the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, it seems a little mysterious. In fact, his disciples came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? 
Why do you use that method? And he replied to them, the twelve, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. We spend every day together traveling place to place, teaching, preaching, and healing. I've taught you. You've gone out and you've taught and preached and healed. We spend all this time together, sitting at night, talking about things. But I've got one shot at this audience. They may or may not ever hear me again, so I have to make it memorable. That's why I teach in parables. Whoever has will be given more. Like you, you'll have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. That is, if you only have a, a passing moment and it's not engaging and memorable, tomorrow you'll forget what, what was said. Kind of like high school French. <laughs> Take two years of French and 20 years later you can't speak a word of French. Except Je m'appelle Bill. <laughs> so, that's why I speak in parables. Because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear or understand, without the clever, memorable story, they won't understand and they won't remember. The seed. Some of the seed fell on the path. And the birds came and ate it. Some are rocky places. Soil was shallow, withered. Other among the thorns, and some on good soil. I see that all the time. You know, I've been doing this for a long time now, and people people have said to me, "Well, how many how many people have you converted?" I said, "None. Uh, it's not my job converting people. Holy Spirit does that, not me. My job." is throwing out the seed. I get up there in front of an audience with a microphone, and I tell stories, I read scripture, and I hope in a memorable way that, that's clever and memorable and people understand. But uh, I, I've seen people in class at the beginning, oh, they are so eager, and I throw the seed out there, and some of it falls on the path. The birds eat it up. You know, it, it just didn't take. Um, they were a little interested, but after two or three class meetings, they drift away. Some fell on rocky places. Some of the seed went out and just bounced right off people. They left after that first class meeting saying, what was that all about? Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Throw out the seed, falls on some people, they're really interested, and then things happen at work or at home and they get other worries and issues and eventually they don't show up anymore. But other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundredfold. Some of that seed went out and I've got carved on my gun notches for those who have become priests and pastors and even rabbis out of my classes. That seed really took hold. So think of that parable. 
and we'll continue on Monday with more parables. Parabola, thrown alongside a common, ordinary truth that you hear so often that you, 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 don't, you don't even hear it anymore. Parables, great stories. Hey, thanks for being with me. This was episode 101, and uh, off we go. Uh, thank you for being here. Blessings to you, and I will see you again on Monday. Bye-bye now. <laughs>